Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to another hour of prime time. I hope your head, I hope your heart, I hope you're okay. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're doing the right thing. Because, listen... We just got another smack in the face. The United States now has the most coronavirus cases in the world, surpassing China, if you believe China's reporting. Regardless, more than 82,000 are sick here. Nearly 1,200 are dead. It's astronomical. And it should be sounding an alarm in your head that no matter what you hear, even from the president, We are nowhere near through this. And if we don't start acting with more resolve in more places, we're in for a long, painful war. And our healthcare system just cannot sustain the strain that is bearing down on them, not for long. Let's check back in with one of the doctors who's on the front lines, treated the very first coronavirus patient in the Seattle area. And let's get the reality. Dr. Amy Compton Phillips. How you doing, Doc? Doing well, Chris. The idea, you're a doctor, you're not a politician, uh, but the idea that, you know, we could be over this pretty quickly. Every data point we seem to be receiving says that the opposite is true. How is it looking from your neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest? So in our neck of the woods, it is definitely still going up. You know, the good news is the rate of escalation here in the Northwest is slower than the rate of escalation in New York City right now. But it's because we started social distancing earlier. And so exactly like you've been talking about, we've been doing the things to limit the transmission. Our doubling rate out here is running at around six to seven days. And in New York, it's around two and a half to three days. Um, And that is because of the effect of staying apart from each other, minimizing the opportunities to pass this from one person to the next. So the panic inducing aspect of the statement is rate of acceleration. That means just slowing down the speed at which it's moving and doubling rate means what it sounds like doubling cases every week. Where do we see any idea of this turning into less cases on a weekly basis, like going from 100 to 90? When might that happen? So that is exactly what people are talking about when they talk about flattening the curve, right? So that we have to actually get the transmission rate to less than one per person. So if you have an infected person, if you get down to less than one person that you infect, um, that we can actually break the back of this epidemic. And that can happen through really effective social distancing. It can also happen like what they did in South Korea by testing people broadly, so much more broadly than we're doing right now in the US, testing people broadly and then isolating the people who have the germ um, very strictly so they can't pass it on to others. Mm. And, And you know what, it's so instructive just in the definition. We obviously aren't doing the right thing because the metric is how many people do I infect when I have it? It should be 
None, because I'm doing the right thing. God forbid I get it. I do the right thing so nobody else gets infected. So clearly, we just don't have the behavior in the culture where we need to be. Now, another big problem, PPE. Uh, you know, that's going to be an acronym everybody's going to know, right? Personal uh, protective equipment. The healthcare workers have to have it or they're going to get the virus and they're going to fall off the front lines and we're not going to have the staff we need. We're already short staffed. It's terrible. I can lament it. I say it. I dramatize it. You do something about it. What are you doing to make sure that your brothers and sisters on the front lines have the PPE to sustain them for the weeks and months to come? Well, you are so 100% right, Chris, that sending a, a physician, a nurse, a, a person who's cleaning the room into that room without the ability to protect themselves would be like sending the soldier into battle without the tools that they need to keep safe, right? And so we can't do that. They're on the front lines of the war against this virus. Um, and so as you well know, because you helped us immensely last week, we put out a challenge to say we need we need 100 million masks. And we started ourselves. We said we're just going to sew them ourselves if we have to using medical grade materials, but we need these for our front line. You made, made that available to everybody in the U.S. and told everyone in the U.S. about it. And then we got overwhelmed by the number of amazing Americans wanting to help because we Americans. have- Americans, every single American out there wanted to help us. And then we started saying, oh my gosh, we're answering so many emails and responding to so many opportunities. It's taken away from our ability to care for patients. We had we had fantastic, and by the way, amazing corporate partners as well that said, we wanna flip our production from our factory to building masks instead of building furniture. Or uh, Nordstrom Tailors is one of them. Instead of sewing clothes, right now nobody's buying clothes. Let's let's have our tailors sew masks. So we have corporate partners, um, but we were drowning in it. So I'm actually really happy to say because I think you started this. Um, we called the American Hospital Association and said, "Hey, you guys, we can we can work locally, but we really want you to help us make this be a national thing." And so now the American Hospital Association um, they're going to announce it tomorrow tomorrow formally. But you're getting the preview tonight. Um, is actually taking on the 100 million mask challenge to help all those makers, all those small businesses, everyone in the U.S. that wants to help us solve this, they can help do that now um, through our 100 million mask challenge. Um, all right. So first, uh, put the website up. Uh, people want to look at the doctor, but they don't care about this tired of my face. Uh, keep that up there <laughs> while we're talking. Um, so, doctor, two things. One, why just masks? Why not the gowns and the shoes and the gloves and the visors and everything else uh, that you guys need? And what about people giving money for this effort and maybe even volunteering to help handle the flow is that stuff all addressed on the website it is all addressed and it's all of the above um the right, the good. challenge that we had initially was masks um but absolutely it's going to be masks and gowns and gloves and and ventilators and tubing and all kinds of things that we need to make sure that you know what's normal is is at a at a reasonably predictable level but what we're building for is more like a tsunami right that it all comes in at the same time and you need very different levels of ppe for that at the same time our production lines from overseas are disrupted so this is actually a great opportunity with this challenge to start manufacturing some of these things on shore and so for all those people that are unemployed right now well guess what we can actually change what they used to make into what we need today so it's it's a great opportunity for everybody now again Doctor, you are not a politician I'm not going to put you in a, pol a political position but I will remind the audience of this 
the president has powers to make factories make things. All right. It was designed during World War II. He had said he was thinking about using it. He hasn't used it. If he did use it, it would actually be a pro-business move because you give them the startup capital. Uh, you know, right now they're doing it because they want to do it and they're figuring out how to do it. It's a little different when you're told to do it. It'll be interesting to see if that's where we wind up. But here's what we know right now. Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, you are the best of us. You are literally healing people who are dealing with this. You're getting out the public service message and you're figuring out how to extend it to the other Amy Compton Phillips, although there's probably not too many people with that exact name, uh, who are doing the exact same thing all across the country. Doctor, let us know how we can help your efforts. You deserve the hand. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And thank you for everything you've done for this effort, Chris. Be well, stay healthy. Stay in touch. Thank you. All right. So now what's more proof that we got a long way to go here? Virus is moving. It's easy to blame it on New York, right? It would be convenient. Ah, those New Yorkers, New Jersey, those Californians, you know, it's them on the coast. It's moving around. Okay. Louisiana. Why is it bursting there? Critical equipment is in short supply. Now, the state is in line behind other states because they're a little late to the game, thank God, right? I mean, they didn't want to have as many cases as we did early on, but now they have to wait longer and they're in a bigger fight to get what they need. We've got a doctor from the state's public health office. What's happening there? What can you do, do to help them? And what word needs to get out? All answers ahead. Not just California, Washington, New York, New Jersey. It's moving around the country and that's what's going to happen. There's a new front line. Where? Emerging in Louisiana, cases are spiking in a frighteningly familiar scenario, which once again builds on the obvious. No place is immune. Nursing homes once again hit the hardest. Why? So many vulnerable people there. Six of them, including this one, where 11 people have died as of Tuesday. I don't know what the uh, number is now, but they're being monitored by the state as a coronavirus cluster site. Critical supplies now because Louisiana is behind these other states like New York and these big states that need so much. So supplies are dwindling and no states have peaked yet. So it's not like equipment is going to free up anytime soon. This is a jam. OK, so let's bring in Dr. Alex B.U., the assistant secretary for the state public health office. Doctor, uh, I'm a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I wish it were not under these circumstances. I'm saying that too much uh, these days, but this is our reality. First, uh, the idea of the nursing homes. Uh, it's big here. This Lambeth House retirement community in New Orleans, we talked to a brother and sister whose mom is in there. They're trying to find out information about her. Uh, she has the virus. 268 people. Uh, what do you know about the nursing homes and how you can get those situations under control? Yeah, well, Chris, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it's it's a real challenge. Uh, certainly, we saw that uh, early on in, in Washington. And, and frankly, you know, the populations that nursing homes serve are the populations that we know have the hardest time with coronavirus. Those are folks who are older than 65, folks who have underlying chronic conditions. And as all of us age, we're more likely to be in those categories. Um, and so really, when you have a group of those uh, vulnerable individuals living close together, uh, it, it really sets up a bad situation when the coronavirus um, uh, shows up in that community. And as you noted, uh, Lambeth House was one of the first clusters that we identified uh, here in New Orleans. Uh, so are you guys, are you finding with your population um, 
and your governor getting the watch, like, you know, the governor here in New York and other states, you think your population is going to snap to a little bit more quickly uh, when you start slapping on restrictions? And what kind of restrictions do you have and what kind of restrictions do you expect? Yeah, well, we, we certainly hope so. I mean, I think that, that the governor uh, and, and lots of officials across our administration have been very clear um, that unlike the disasters that we usually face in Louisiana, natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, uh, this is one where we as Louisianans have an actual chance to change the trajectory that we're on. You know, right now we're on the same growth uh, trend as, as Italy, Spain, and, and actually South Korea was before South Korea took the actions that they needed to to uh, flatten that curve, to, to uh, reduce the spread of, of the virus. And so, you know, early on, the governor took uh, proactive measures to limit uh, crowd sizes, uh, really to talk about the measures we should all be doing, covering our cough, washing our hands. Uh, but last Sunday, he put in force a stay-at-home order, uh, really encouraging and, and frankly, um, uh, directing Louisianans across the state, not just in New Orleans, but across the state, to stay home, uh, not just for themselves, not just for their immediate family, but for their neighbors. And if there's one thing Louisianans, Louisianans do very well, it's taking care of our neighbors, neighbors in a time of crisis. The Cajun culture is uh, well known to anybody in my business. I've been in your state wet way too many times, um, but you do have a culture advantage. People there know how to hunker down uh, and they know uh, how to do difficult things for an extended period. Um, but this is different. Like you said, you know, we had Tony Fauci on the other night, Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, and he had concerns about how fast the state was moving. Let me play them for you so you can respond. I have spoken to the political officials in New Orleans and in the state of Louisiana. They're now shutting things down in a very vigorous way. It is likely that that should have been done a little bit sooner, not blaming anyone on that, but you get caught unawares because the nature of this outbreak. What is it about this? Is it that with a hurricane, you see the modeling, you see it moving. And in this thing, because it's invisible and you don't have people walking around with the cases, it's just hard to muster. Well, and, and what I heard, you know, Dr. Fauci saying there was was really if it's not just Louisiana, if you go back three weeks, um, uh, really most of us across the country uh, weren't taking the kinds of steps that we're taking now because, frankly, no our question. testing was still focused on people who were traveling from other countries. Mm. Uh, really, you know, right up until the point that we had our first case, uh, and even with our first case, we were looking mostly to people coming back from China, Iran, Italy, South Korea. What we didn't know is coronavirus was spreading through our community, through New Orleans, and now we know uh, across many communities in the country. And so I think if we had more testing available earlier, if we had had better information, uh, I think all of us would have been testing earlier and trying to isolate like we now know we need to be doing. You have to get the testing ready for the next wave uh, and you have to get it up as quickly as you can to deal with the back end of this wave. You have neighboring states that don't have the precautionary measures that you have right now. That's an issue. And it's going to be hard to source equipment. What are you finding on that last point? Yeah, I mean, it's very tough. You know, we, we made the point, the governor made the point uh, earlier this week, you know, in a disaster, again, we're used to those. Um, we can look to our neighbors because usually a hurricane doesn't hit the entire, you know, Gulf Coast or, or even the entire country. And the federal government and our neighboring states are able to muster and give us supplies. 
Right now, you know, we may be and we are, you know, the, the second or third uh, highest rate of, of infections per capita, but this, the virus is spread all over this country. And so the PPE that you just heard of uh, in Washington, and, and certainly I know your brother's been talking about in New York, we need that desperately down here too. And frankly, if our neighbors don't need it as desperately as us uh, today, they will a week from now. Uh, and that's challenging. We're, we're not only competing with other states, Chris, we're competing with other hospitals in our state mm. and, you know, yeah. trying to, to get to the first supplier, get to the next supplier just a little bit ahead of the next one. Uh, you know, it, it's a real challenge that I think would really benefit from more national organization. Uh, absolutely. And also, again, it's raising the specter. It's, this isn't about politics. It's about practicality. We need our factories to be making these things. The supply chain isn't getting it done. People all over the world are dealing with this to different degrees. Uh, we have factories that are closed now. How many of them will be opened up to deal with situations like yours? Dr. BU, uh, we are here. Uh, to help. You are a beautiful people and culture uh, in Louisiana. Anybody who's been there has enjoyed it. You need our help now. We're here for you. We do, and we really appreciate that. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for this opportunity to, to share our, our need and our story. Absolutely. We'll be here all throughout, and hopefully I'll see you down there soon with a story of your recovery. All right, coronavirus. It affects everything. Uh, and that is to be expected. The job market, more than three million Americans filed for unemployment last week. How can you be surprised? Well, it is the most ever. Now, what are we doing about it? This stimulus bill and the unemployment aid is dense. OK, I've been going through it all day. I've got one of our best minds on this, Austin Goolsby. He understands why these bills are formed the way they are and what it means. I'm going to pepper him with some questions that you guys have been bringing to me. We'll get answers for you next. All right, we're just hours away from the House taking up the Senate's historic $2 trillion relief package. Unemployment claims spiked to 3.28 million last week. Let's put that in context. It's the most in history, a massive surge from the nearly 300,000 jobless claims filed the week before. OK, that's called a 10x jump, 10 times. Not good. Just how bad, just how long on the economic side? Let's get perspective from Austin Goolsby, former chief economist to then President Obama. It's good to see you. Great to see you again. So how long? I mean, how do you even come close to answering that question when you don't know how long the economy stays like this, other than the suggestion that it ain't going to open up in two weeks, like the president says? Yeah, look, the, uh, like I say, the number one rule of virus economics is the best thing for the economics is to slow the spread of that virus. And until we get a slowdown of those new cases, we can do things like this relief bill, which we need to do. But this is just temporary. You know, we're, we're just we're burning money to keep warm because the heat is out. But we have to slow the spread of that virus before we can get out of lockdown or we got to do testing or we got to have other means. But the, it's the virus is the boss. And, and that's we, we just have to recognize that. I want to go into the bill. Uh, but first, 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 I want to get your take on this. Why? What is the good argument for the president not pulling this string on his manufacturing power uh, and, you know, just you know it all, of course, but the, you know, the wartime power of him saying to the factories as they did World War II, you're going to be making X instead of waiting on them to figure out how to get it done on a voluntary basis. I'm confused. I don't really know what that there is a good argument other than 
they don't want the government to be telling the private sector what to do, even if it is an emergency. But I think it's a mistake because the, the, these are specialized things. They're not complicated, but they're specialized. And th there isn't normally the production of this kind of volume. I think orienting whoever it is, automakers, other manufacturers who, who are at very low levels of production right now, I think it makes sense. That, and now, as you know, in the pandemic plans, they haven't really been following. It, it does more than this. You, you could get the, the army involved in the logistics where they could say, you know, this factory can make this, but they don't have latex. Well, we can get latex from this other spot and have them ship it. So I think ho hopefully we will, over the next couple of weeks, move to a thing where we can make ventilators, make respirators, make the kind of protective equipment that we need. Because we got to control the virus if you want the economy to come back. It's that simple. The military isn't even doing testing yet. It volunteered to do it. We're not even using them to process it yet. We have a Congress member in California who's been waiting five days for her test results. Crazy, crazy. It doesn't right, make so sense. The stimulus bill comes. It's dense. Put up the uh, graphic we have as I ask Austin about it. Now, you got two different buckets of need here. You got stimulus, um, you know, uh, uh, the top line of about $1,200, depending on what you make, whether you're an individual or married or a head of a household, uh, plus 500 per kid. And then you have the unemployment benefits. So there's a lot of different buckets that you might fit in here or not? How hard is it going to be for people to figure out how they get what they get? And do they have to decide and apply or is it all done for them? Hopefully, almost all of it is done for them. The $1,200 per adult, the $500 per kid, that's supposed to get sent to you directly. If the IRS already has your bank account from when you filled out your taxes, they're supposed to just put the money right in your bank account. If they can't, they're supposed to send you a letter. And, and the Treasury is saying that that could be out in three weeks. That'd be great. If you're unemployed, it's going to be a bigger amount of money, an extra $600 per week. But there you do have to file for unemployment insurance. You saw the, by far the biggest increase in unemployment claims of all times, by factor of five, the biggest ever. Right. Um, so it's going to be a little bit of pressure on the front, uh, on the front end, applying for that. There's, there's right, and that's to complicated. Be some delays and you know, buffering. yeah, that, that's going to be complicated because you have to apply. Most states uh, they try to do unemployment insurance like 40, 45 percent of your weekly check. I think the average check for a worker in America is something like around a thousand bucks, or at least that's their calculation of of what it is. Um, and this would add another 13 weeks of it. Now the political pushback is. You're incentivizing people not to work. They're going to make more money with this plan uh, than they would have if they were working. You're incentivizing them basically to step out of the job force. Now, other than the obvious argument of you can't quit and get this, what do you think of that political pushback? Well, you know, all I'll say is I kind of object to the calling this entire bill stimulus. I don't think it is stimulus. I think it's relief and rescue. And, mm -hmm. by, and by the distinction I'm making is stimulus is we're going to give you a check because we want you to go out and spend it. And then whoever you spend it on, we want them to go out and spend it and you get some spillover. I think this is primarily we don't want anybody to starve. You keep food on the table. We don't want permanent damage from what we hope to be a temporary shock. So I think 
there, there's always a trade-off between tailoring who gets the money and getting the money out as fast as possible. In this thing, I can see why the critics don't like that it would go through the unemployment insurance system. And there are some workers that, the, that a few senators objected, and they said, wait, they might even get more than 100% of their wages. Um, but look, the fact is we're trying to get this money to the people in need, and we're trying to get it out the door quickly. The thing is, if we can't get control of this virus, this money's going to run out, and we're going right. to be back. doesn't matter how big it is. We're going to be back and needing more money because people are going to be back on the edge. So uh, it, then it gets uh, – so there's good news, bad news. Um, self-employed people will be picked up on unemployment insurance. A lot of people are worried about that. We have a lot of independent contractors in our economy, yep. as you know. Uh, they will get picked up and they can file for self-employment, uh, for, for unemployment bennies. Uh, that's, that's good. However, um, utilities and cable uh, can still come after you if you don't pay your bill, even though there is stu- student loan forgiveness uh, if of a federal loan and other types of abeyance programs that businesses can apply for. Uh, is that about as good a balance as you could have done, or you think utilities should have been thrown in? Well, I, look, they tried to solve the problem of figuring out which bill would be paid for by just giving you money. Uh, and, and I think that's probably the right approach. I think where the conflict may come about in the future is we got $500 billion of rescue money going to, to big corporations. There's a little over $250 billion uh, or almost $250 billion of additional corporate tax cuts. And I think it's still the jury's still out who's going to get that money and how is it going to be governed. And that could, there could be people coming back and saying, why did we spend $500 billion to save the airline industry or some specific industry? And they won't invoke the Defense Production Act. And they're, they're arguing over $1 billion for ventilators. I think that might be a source of tension in the future. But right now, they're just trying to get the money out and let you pay whichever bills, whichever bills you have. And remember, uh, I mean, you, again, you know this, but for you at home, businesses can uh, file for bankruptcy protection and sweat workers. Uh, workers don't get that benefit. When you, when you ba- go bankrupt, you don't get to reorganize and come out of it that way. Yes, you have Chapter 13 under the bankruptcy laws, but it's different. Uh, it's different for workers than it is for businesses. That's why I've been focusing on businesses with Austin. And one other thing, many of you have asked, I can't work. I lost my child care. That's in here. That's in here. You can file for uh, relief benefits in order to, because you can't pay for child care. That's here. Austin Goolsby, thank you very much. More questions to yeah, come as we figure out you. more of this bill. All right, now look, the mantra has to be together as ever as one. We gotta have faith in this because the pain is real and the pragmatism that brings us together is the only thing that'll get us through it. That's why I'm turning to a spiritual advisor like the great Cardinal Timothy Dolan, the Archbishop of the New York Diocese, to talk to us how to come together when you're forced to stay apart. Next. Americans, we come together. There is comfort in the collective, but not now. So. How do we keep faith in this circumstance? New York Archbishop Cardinal Timothy Dolan with his answer. Cardinal, thank you so much uh, for taking time to join us. I know how busy your days are, especially with all the need in the city right now. 
Chris, I appreciate being asked. I wish I could walk up the street and be with you there in Columbus Circle. I miss you. Uh, I hope I get to see you soon where I can give you a a big hug in thanks and appreciation as a Catholic uh, for what you've been doing to the community, uh, both the religious and non-religious. But here's the trick for you, Cardinal. Ordinarily, I've heard you say so many times, uh, people need to come together, uh, whether it's asking Catholics to come to Mass, observe. Obviously, we're in uh, you know, one of our holiest seasons here of Lent going into Easter. Uh, but how do you bring people together when they literally are forced to stay apart? Sure. You know, Chris, physical togetherness is very important. So having a congregation at Mass, having our families around the table, having neighbors and friends in. That physical connection is very important. It's not the only kind of connection, though, all right? There, there can be a solidarity, a unity um, in focus, in hard work, uh, in, in prayer, in faith. We can come together in many ways besides the tactile, okay? And I think this is uh, teaching us this. I've heard people say, literally, while they're they're cloistered in their room, that they feel closer to their neighbors, they feel closer to their family than they have in a long time. If if um, a sense of presence and a belief in someone's company was dependent upon the physical, uh, we what where would our faith be in God? Because God's presence isn't physical to us, but it's as real as ever. Have you ever seen anybody more in love? than a wife at home with her kids whose husband is fighting in Iraq or in or in Afghanistan. They are more in love. They feel closer together than ever. So this is the time it's dawning on us, Chris, that togetherness, connection, solidarity, community, unity, while we really bask in the physical part of it, doesn't exclusively depend on that. Absence can make the heart grow fonder. My wife certainly likes it when I'm on the road for work. I'm not exactly sure why, but we'll discuss that at a different time, Archbishop. Uh, Let me ask you this. Uh, People are starting to get a feel of the reality. They hear that Easter services uh, won't be there, but bigger, they're starting to see what's happening at the hospitals. Uh, They're hearing that they're having to bring in refrigerated trucks because people can't even say goodbye to the departed uh, with any dignity, with any uh, religious ceremony. And of course, uh, you know, you have been so important to so many families, including my own, in terms of helping us deal with death. Uh, The delay, the incompleteness, the lack of closure, what will that mean? for people? It'll mean a lot. You used a good word there when you spoke about reality. Uh, I've been getting calls from all over the country, all over the world, and they're saying, what's it like there in New York? We hear it's a ground zero. We hear it's the epicenter. And the word that most comes to mind is realism. I don't sense panic. Uh, I don't sense despair. I do sense a very vivid uh, sentiment of realism. They know what's going on. They know it's probably going to get uh, much more pressured before it begins to get better. So they are realistically assessing what's going on. One of the things we got here, Chris, I guess for the most of us, we could think back to Sandy. We can think back to 9-11, okay? Our elders can think back to, to the Second World War, to, uh, to the Depression. 
the, uh, for Sandy in 9-11, for us New Yorkers, those were awful and had, and had consequences that are still with us in some ways, but they were over and done with, and we could begin to rebuild. Not with this invisible enemy. We still don't know where it's going to attack, how many more are going to be attacked, and when it's going to end. That kind of adds to a sense of, of apprehension. That adds to this dug-in realism uh, that I sense all around us. How do you reconcile the season of rebirth and renewal uh, that will be coming at the same time that we will really be mired uh, in maybe the deadliest aspect of this, if we're lucky, um, for our state in this region? It could be. I know you're referring to two weeks from now when our Jewish neighbors will celebrate Passover. I think it's, it's a gift because it will allow us all to take a deeper spiritual uh, uh, interpretation of this. What is the Passover about? The Passover is about deliverance from death and depression, no future in Egypt, slavery, to liberation, new life, promise, hope. In, in Israel. What is, what is Holy Week about? It's about Good Friday afternoon when literally the earth went black as the sun was hid, as the earth shuddered with tremors of, of sadness uh, with the death of the Savior, from then passing over to new life and hope and resurrection on Easter Sunday. This is what we need now. This is what we need. We're, ve we're being very realistic, as you and I commented about, about three minutes ago, in, in the difficulties we got, in the, in the apprehension that we got, in the tough work we got ahead. We're also realistic to know that there's a deep stamina in the human heart. There's a deep connection among all of us, and there's a deep sense of divine providence uh, and protection, which I think is going to be particularly vivid and dramatic at Passover and Holy Week this year. Uh, quickly, Cardinal, before uh, our time runs out here, uh, your message to people who say, I love my community, but I got to take care of my own. I'm buying up all that toilet paper. I'm going to buy up as much food as I can. I got to protect my own. I'm scared. What do you say? No, no, no. This is a call to selflessness and generosity. And what greater example do we got than our extraordinarily courageous healthcare workers who are literally going for 18 hours a day, who are putting their, themselves in danger to protect, to protect us. We got this virus through other people. Healing and help is going to come from our outreach to other people. Oh, this is a call. This is a call, of course, to be very practical and realistic in protecting ourselves and our family, but it's also a summons to take care of the wider community. And darn it, New York and the United States are doing that. Thank God. Thank God so far. Uh, we are showing that we can be together as ever as one, and that's the way through. Cardinal, thank you for reminding us uh, during this very holy time thank you, of Chris. the year. How, how's your mom? My mom is doing well. Uh, she's with my sister. She's, being, she's doing well. She always uh, gets so excited to hear that you thought of her. Uh, and of course, you are in her prayers. Give her my love and tell her I want that lasagna at Easter, okay? <laughs> you, will, you will be first up with a plate for sure. Cardinal Thanks. Timothy Dolan, be well and thank you for the spiritual well-being as also. You're welcome, Chris. God bless you all. God bless, Cardinal. Look, at the end of the day, everybody's saying it right now. We're all in this together. We just have to act that way. Now, some are going above and beyond to help their neighbors. Some need to be called out. 
Americans and Americans. Next. It's not just the beaches where some people forgot that spring break is canceled. Look at this swimming hole in Austin, Texas on Tuesday, jam-packed just hours after Austin announced its own stay-at-home order. I mean, come on. Don't you see what's happening in New York? This is not the time to play games. Now, next, even worse. The video you're seeing is of a Pennsylvania woman arraigned, not in a courthouse, but while sitting in the back of a police SUV social distancing. The judge came outside to conduct the hearing. Why? Because the woman is charged with intentionally coughing on food at a grocery store after announcing, I have the virus. Now you are all going to get sick. Authorities say she coughed on the produce, the baked goods and the meats. The supermarket had to throw out $35,000 worth of groceries. Now, she turns out to be mentally ill and that this was driven by some type of illness, one thing. Otherwise, you got to call it out. In fact, she's lucky we're blurring her face. Okay, something much happier here now. Americans. Who's a good girl? Win, a service dog in training who's comforting the staff at a Denver hospital on the front lines of this coronavirus battle. She's being trained by the ER doctor you see there, Susan Ryan. And yes, everyone who comes in contact with Wynn washes their hands first. And I've been showing the medical heroes of Louisiana, the latest hotspot. But who are their heroes? New Orleans musicians rushing fresh meals to the hospital, donors chipping in to pay the restaurants that are helping to make it happen. It's all being led by a Mardi Gras, uh, Mardi Gras crew leader, K-R-E-W-E, a much different but essential parade of support now. And look, I'm going to keep focusing on the front lines because this battle is won and lost in terms of two things. One, how we take care of the worst cases. Those are the hospitalized cases. That's ventilators. That's PPE. you got to keep your frontline warriors protected. Otherwise, they're going to get it and we're done. The second one is you and me, my brother and sister. we got to do the right thing. You know that we have to keep a distance right now. we got to keep it cool. That's how we'll get through it. Special programming note. CNN is going to be hosting a Democratic presidential town hall with former VP Joe Biden tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Tune in, see what he'll say about what he'd be doing, what the government is doing, and what should be done next. That's tomorrow night at 8, and then we'll be back at 9. Thank you for watching. Our coronavirus coverage continues on CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.